Hello, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is episode number 28. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Joy Warner. Joy is the former executive director at the Community School of Davidson, which is a charter school in Davidson, North Carolina. She founded it back in 2001 and led the school up until this past summer. Joy graduated from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte with a master's after completing her bachelor's degree at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Joy is a leader, a thinker, and an iterator. She doesn't rest on the same way of doing things day in and day out. She's always looking to change for the better. She highly, highly focuses on the kids' emotional quotient in their K through five years. She focuses heavily on leadership, as well as helping these children understand how to give back to society, whether it's out in the real world on her service Fridays or within the classroom where some of the older kids teach the younger kids. She has some very, very innovative ways of helping kids maintain high-quality self-esteem through their own choices and decisions. And we get into all of this in this wide-ranging conversation. My children went to this school and had only amazing things to say about the quality of the education they received and the learning and love they received from Joy especially. So we're going to get into a lot of her philosophical understandings and decision-making over the years, as well as what happened during the very difficult COVID pandemic. That put a challenge on everybody, the children, the administration, the teachers, and CSD and many other schools weathered it in different ways. And we talk a bit about that as well. So I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with an exceptional leader and founder of the Community School of Davidson. Well, welcome to the show, Joy Warner. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, spending the last oh, decade or so getting to know you, having the vision of watching my children spend so many wonderful years in your school. And just really, um, your presence has been an absolute, and it's going to be funny, I'm going to use the word joy to be around. <laughs> um, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here and uh, share and learn with you together today. I appreciate it. So I'm going to get started. Uh, normally, I read a paragraph or something from a piece of work that sort of inspires me about the person I'm speaking to. But for you, I had a different idea. And it actually came a little bit about out of your sort of standing O's. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to that later, too. But I thought of some key some key words that came to mind when I started thinking about your impact on the community, right? And the first word that came to mind was connected community, right? And connection is massive when it comes to relationships. You also have this belief in love first. You have a belief in second chances. You have a belief in raising a young adult as one of your major themes of their whole K through 12 understanding. You have a belief heavily in moral code and morals. You are an unbelievable espouser of gratitude. You send out joy, and there's that word again. I think your parents <laughs> named you aptly. You send out joy personally every day, as my children have told me, and as I have seen, walking the halls, wherever you are, you are a light for all of these wonderful children as they grow in, and 20 years worth of children. <laughs> you believe in giving before taking. And I find that one to be exceedingly fascinating because I think when you give, you receive actually more than you believe you will. And you actually probably receive more than you give. But giving first always, to me, always made sense the way you've espoused that as well. And then finally, Joy, everyone should express their authentic self. That's not something I grew up with. I grew up more with conformity. Um, I think about the song that Rush wrote, um, Division Subdivisions. We grew up in a world where we were all supposed to try and tribalize into what our our, t our groups were, and we separated out that way. And it seemed that was historical for a long time. But your work really seems to go against the grain a little bit there. And you're very much proponent, again, and anything I'm saying that you don't agree with, you can push back yeah. on all day long. But, you know, everyone should express their authentic self. And as I age, 
I really identify with that. So I want to get started for everybody. That's the background of who I believe you're, you are, your beauty, what you've given to the world. But what brought you to the point of saying, you know what? I want to start a charter school named Community School of Davidson. And one of the big guiding principles seems to be that I want it to be a unique school that's working on emotional intelligence primarily. So take it from there. What what sent you down this road and how did you become the leader <laughs> of this phenomenal school? So first of all, thank you for making me sound so fabulous. <laughs> I wish I was half as good as you made me sound. Um, but so thank you for that. So, um, uh, gosh, what made me do this? I, uh, I would love to tell you that I am this unique, brilliant person who had this fabulous idea that nobody else had. But honestly, Chris, educators for a very, very long time have been talking about whole child education and that children are these complex beings um, cognitive, social, emotional, and physical beings, and that to truly uh, raise them well, to be healthy, happy, um, fulfilled, productive citizens, that we should be creating, you know, I'm not a big fan of teach them, I'm a big fan of grow them. We should be creating homes and educational places where uh, children are cherished and nurtured and that all of those facets of development are um, nurtured and respected as equally valuable. Um, but as an educator, um, and you know this as a parent, the pendulum with child rearing, child raising, child education, the pendulum swings back and forth all the time. And so what happens in schools is that um, teachers and children and parents become victims, in my opinion, of bureaucratic pendulums that um, lose sight of what our goal is. And, and the goal is, for me, the goal is not the test. Um, it's just not that great test scores are, uh, are oftentimes an, a good outcome of excellent education, um, but they're not the goal, in my opinion. The goal is raising these awesome children. So long story short, as an educator, um, I have worked in great schools under great leaders with great colleagues. Uh, and I think most educators go into the field wanting to make a difference. Um, but I found myself frustrated with the bureaucratic systems that educators uh, experience in the world of bureaucracy and politics impacting education. So honestly, I, I left my, my whole career, 35 years uh, since I was 21 years old, I have been in uh, North Carolina an educator. Um, and I didn't open a charter school because I thought I knew more than everybody. And I didn't open a charter school because I think charter schools are the only way to do the right thing for kids. Um, I was an educator who tried to work from within the system. And I got frustrated because the bureaucracy, the bureaucratic systems keep teachers from doing, in my opinion, what's best for children. Um, so that's why I left the traditional public education. It wasn't because it's not filled with fabulous people who care deeply about children. Um, so so I, I wanted um, a school based on the principles that I, as an educator, and I, as a human, parent and human believe is best for children. Um, and that was the beginning of CSD. Um, CSD and I believe schools should be places um, led by educators paired with a deep respect for the partnership and expertise of parents for their own children 
those two, the teacher, the educator as expert in education, the parent as expert in their child, paired with the child at the center of that relationship, that's it. That's what CSD is. Um, a school founded and led by educators, a place where children are cherished and parents are seen as valuable and necessary partners because they are their children's first teachers and they are the experts on their children, every parent. So again, I felt those things in other settings and many teachers agree, but I got frustrated because money and systems um, and bureaucratic policies um, tie the hands of teachers uh, and, and it's, it's not okay. I didn't want to participate in that anymore. So that's really kind of the beginning of CSD. Yeah. And, and, and your, and your heavy focus on understanding that for years, you know, so many educators are tasked with teaching primarily book learning, right? And clearly that is important. There's no one going to ever say that, that the book learning side of it is not important, but there was never such an emphasis on the other side of the coin, the whole child. And to your point, when a child is nourished, and I mean nourished emotionally, they are more capable then of, of learning, right? That's that stress point. So speak to that a little bit and to, to a little bit on, on that side of it. You also made sure that each classroom had extra hands in there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's something that's very unique because 30 kids, 28 kids, 22 mm -hmm. kids in a classroom, whatever the number is one person, it's a very difficult task, right? I know in my exam room, when I just have a mom and three kids in the room, it's chaos, let yeah. alone, <laughs> let alone 27 independent children thinking minds, maybe one who has a little bit of impulsivity, one who's got a little bit of, you know, so speak to that reality. Yeah, I think, and this is again where that yucky word money impacts education. Uh, I, I don't know a single teacher who does not believe that a sense of community and a deep uh, respect for the importance of relationships doesn't impact learning every day in classrooms. And I don't know how you can say that community and relationships are important in kids learning and then put them in these giant classrooms with massive numbers of kids and one adult who's burnout because they're teaching too many kids, too many hours, and then working until 10 o'clock every night. Uh, it just, it doesn't work. Um, so if you believe, as I do, and I think as you do, that uh, a, a child's whole development, you know, their head, their heart, their mind, their body, if all that matters, then you have to put your money where your mouth is and you have to create environments where they are seen and interacted with as these individual precious humans that they are. And you just, you can't do that. In my opinion, I see teachers do amazing things. Um, I don't know how they do it. You know, I've seen teachers in a classroom alone with 30 kids somehow make every kid walk home thinking that they're that, that teacher's favorite child. Um, and I have great awe for them, but I, sometimes I know those teachers, they're probably working a hundred hours a week to do it. Um, but again, for me, you can, you have to put your money where your mouth is. And if, if, if you say relationships matter deeply and children have to feel seen, heard, valued, respected, and honored as humans, then you have to create an environment where those conversations and relationships develop deeply. So for us, uh, you know, we're uh, a school of right at this year, 1,500 K-12 students and well over 200 staff members. That is unheard of. Uh, it's hard on our budget, and we it, we're particularly you know challenged there because in the teaching crisis, people are trying to lure our teachers away at CSD because they're not as well paid as other right. places. Um, but again, that's that was the model we opened our school on that that you need more adults in a classroom, both with parent volunteers and staff members 
so that children and adults can connect deeply and that these children can be seen as individual learners, whole, whole body learners. Um, and, and I believe 100 percent um, that when our heart is not well or our body is not well or our head is not well or uh, any of those things are not well, we, our, our ability to thrive is compromised and schools and homes need to be places where we look after all those phases of development for children. And it's complex. It takes time and it takes adult human resources. Yeah, and, and I think to dovetail off of that, I think that's sort of a fascinoma to me when you think about in my world in Salisbury, where my practice is, there's a high burden of underprivileged children who come from homes that are stressful. Um, may have two parents working third shift, may have um, poverty issues that are very high, may have internal struggles of marital strife or whatever. And those children come to school to some extent for respite. And, and that respite is an environment that says, I have friends, I have um, teachers who nourish me, that when I come back to my home, that may not be perfect, I am more balanced. And I think to some extent, that is also what I noticed in your school, is that this, this is a piece of the long-term puzzle for a child to grow, because not everybody is gifted to have the perfect home life, right? And frankly, <laughs> I don't know if that exists in any way, shape, or form. But I want to take you a little bit because leadership is what your school has spent a lot of time working on, clearly from the top down. I know your leadership is is bar none, one of the best. But you actually really at an early age start to put these kids in leadership roles, right? Mm -hmm. Especially mentoring the young. Talk to that because I think, you know, that's something that's lost, especially on boys whose fathers have gone to work and are not home as much. They're not getting as much of that dad son experience that they may have needed that mentoring the, you know, whatever it is, learning how to fix things or whatever the traditional archetypal male role is, they're not getting some of that. But in your world, these kids are now the older ones teach the younger ones speak to that. Cause I think that's also a really beautiful and unique. Yeah. I, uh, I, part of our foundational model is that um, our goal at CSD is not to prepare the kid for the next grade level. That is a short-term goal. We're going big picture. So our goal is to create a space where children can grow and evolve and become who they are meant to become and follow their own life journey in productive, healthy, happy ways. That's the goal. It's not the next grade level. It's not even the end of your test. So and, and that has to come from inside us, right? So a big foundational part for CSD was a focus on intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic rewards. There's tons of research. I could talk about that topic for hours, but I won't. There's tons of research around extrinsic rewards get a short-term result. They do get results. I don't argue that they, don't, that they get results. They get results quick results. And when you follow the research, the results go away when the reward goes away, unless you come up with a bigger award or the child somehow internalizes it. So, so again, part of our foundational model is that we want to create a space where children feel empowered to have voice and choice on their life journey. And that's if we want them to be lifelong learners, we can't beat them into learning and scare them into learning, we've got to make them love learning so that when they leave us, they chase it far beyond what we've uh, presented. Um, so how does that play out kindergarten through 12th grade? It plays out where they have voice and choice, but it also plays out, we believe, that you don't get good at something by being controlled and managed and then thrown into the world and say, okay, go, go be an adult. I see that, you know, in the college, this will be relevant to you because you've got a first year college kid. 50% of college freshmen do not complete their four years of college in a four year school. Like that should freak us out. Yeah. Why, why is that? It's a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's money. 
Sometimes they're at the wrong school for them. A lot of the time it is because they get, they're unhealthy, they're drugs, alcohol, dysfunctional relationships, anxiety, um, uh, poor nutrition, poor sleep, lack of study habits. They don't know how to live independently. Well, shame on us for controlling children their whole lives and then tossing them into the world and telling them to do it by themselves. So our philosophy is that we need to empower children at a very young age to allow them to practice being independent, making choices, solving conflict, problem solving problems, um, understanding that mistakes are not bad. Mistakes are our very best teachers. So, so when kids mess up, helping them, you know, step back, fix the mistake and grow from it as opposed to shame, punishment, and that all those things that lead to lying and self-hatred, self-shame. You know, the hardest things in my life usually led to some of the best things. And we want kids to practice being adults at a very young age so that they're practicing in the safe space of homes and schools. And they have adults who love them unconditionally, who will reel them in with their mistakes, see the mistake as a teacher um, and help them grow from them. Leadership, uh, you know, we, we always say everyone is a leader because you're leading your own life. And everyone is a leader because people are watching you and learning from you. Um, so again, what we tell our students is you, you, you learn to lead well by leading, right? And again, oftentimes the best lessons they learn in that journey are the, are the times they mess up. So um, for us, it, it is a philosophical belief in in empowering children with by through authentic learning experiences where they practice doing what we expect them to do as young adults did i answer your question <laughs> yeah and, and 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 i'm gonna sort of bring my color to it a little bit because as you as you stated my my young my oldest is heading off to college he graduated this year from csd and I remember many times he would come home just giddy over being able to go down to the lower school and spend a day with the, you know, the K through six age grade, mm -hmm. whichever one they were there teaching them, mentoring them whole, you know, being a part of that experience that is so empowering for a young man or young woman to have the opportunity to be, you know, whether the word is mentor, whether the word is teacher, whether the word is leader, it's irrelevant other than the point that they feel that responsibility to show up for another human in a way that is connected and then relational. And, and I keep using those words because I did a, a podcast with this gentleman named Dewey Freeman and his understanding of that connection, which then leads to relationship, which then leads to intimacy and intimacy, I mean, is energetic intimacy. Mm -hmm. That's what all humans want. We ultimately thrive for that intimacy and that love. And love, man, you give somebody love, they'll go to the world for you. And again, I've seen this in your school. I've seen these mm -hmm. kids just espouse this, this, this reality of, hey, I'm going to the lower school. I'm going to do this. I'm doing service Friday. And sometimes they're typical teenagers like, oh, I can't believe I have to go on Friday. Yes. But then when you really, when you really pin them down, they love it. Right? Yeah. You know what, Chris, it's so funny. I always tell parents, um, you know, when your kid says, how ah, do I have to go do that service? They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Teenagers and adolescents are wired to fight, <laughs> to yeah. argue, to debate. That's what's preparing them to live independently. Right. However, you nailed it. They love it. Well, I think they love it for a million reasons, but I, I do believe you nailed it. We all have a deep need to belong and to be loved. And I think when particularly older students interact with younger students, they get a break from the pressures that go with peers and they just get to share space 
with someone younger than them. And I think there is unconditional love at work. I think there is the, the absolute magic that comes from service. Um, there's tons of research, I'm sure you're aware of it, around um, the benefits of servant leadership and service learning, um, psychological benefits, emotional yep. benefits, physical yep. benefits, physical yep. benefits, physiological benefits. When we go serve, we get far more than we give. And that is, again, that's that service learning. It it impacts these young people as leaders because they practice leading, but it deeply impacts them at, in the power, I believe, of unconditional love and belonging. Because anytime an older person, older kid interacts with a little person, they're rock stars. Um I always, you know, again, one of my favorite saying is everybody should feel like they're somebody's favorite person, you know, might, might be your grandma that you're, you're my grandma, I'm her favorite. Um, and I think really gifted teachers make every kid feel that you're my favorite, because that to me, if a kid can go home from school, knowing that they are seen and loved unconditionally, not for being perfect, but for being who they are, which is perfectly imperfect and continuously right. evolving. The, the, the long-term benefit of those kind of learning experiences far outweigh, in my opinion, all the reading, math, writing, science, those things are critical, don't get me wrong, but we, we've got these awesome phones and computers where we can find anything we want about math and science. Um, computers won't help us have healthy, happy hearts, heads, and bodies. We've got to figure that out on our own. So to me, those learning experience, practice leading, opportunities to serve and give back and connect deeply are critical um, from, from the minute these little people take breaths on our earth. And I, and I think, you know, in my world, in medicine, that's one of the big pieces of, of our training that is completely missing is this, this focus on the whole human, right? So I had to do a fellowship to start really learning the focus on the whole human. And, and I, when I walk into a room now, as opposed to 23 years ago, I am letting that child know right from the get-go in the room that they are the person that I care about in the room, the person mm -hmm. that I love. It's not so much anymore, you know, that it's a diagnosis that needs to be repaired. It is a yes. it is a relationship that needs to exist so that the child feels empowered to make the best decisions for themselves. To your point, the teenager is going to rebel regardless. So when I start going hammering, hey, you need to eat this and that and the other, yeah, they can understand the science, but they're not really willing to do that. So I sort of try and meet them where they're at now and spend a lot of time saying, hey, what do you want out of this visit? I'm here for you. I'm your coach. I love you. My decision is to talk to you in the words that help you. And some of them won't say anything. So I go, well, let's just talk then. And, and eventually they start to do what you're saying. They break down, get a little bit of that com comfortability, that relationship. And that's something I'd love to see in the world of medicine, the, the, the reality that you've built in this school. So I want to segue. I've got two really interesting places I want to go. One is going to be COVID-19 and what happened to your world with that. But before I go there, I want to touch base on, on the standing O. This is something very unique. And for the listeners out there, the standing ovation, I'm not, I can't remember. I think it's third grade. Maybe it's a couple of the other grades. It starts in kindergarten. Okay. So these children get the standing ovation, which is where the standing O comes from. And they, all their classmates give a word or something related to what they believe in them in a positive way. And these children come home with these lovely uh, cardboard pieces of paper that two of them sit in my office, actually one for each of my <laughs> kids on my wall. And, and it really lets them know that they're loved. Talk about the genesis of that and how that has impacted your school. Um, I love, I love, love, love standing out. It's one of my favorite things. Um, so, so in terms of Leslie Tomko gets credit for that. Um, she was our very first kindergarten teacher at CSD and, and helped me found the school. 
and she started that in our very first kindergarten class and it, it quickly became a treasured uh, a, a, a treasured part of the foundation of CSD. Um, really, it goes back to um, the power of gratitude, um, the power of self-love, the power of looking uh, into each of the people in our community and seeing their authentic, beautiful individual gifts. The goal in that process is to is to help children understand that each of us is this treasured human life on earth and we should be grateful for each other and we should look deeper to see the individual qualities about people that that make them treasured humans in our community so starting in kindergarten you know little people you know in august they typically say i like your light up shoes <laughs> and and that's normal and and it's all part of the journey very quickly very quickly children transition to I like when I saw you on the playground, how you help people up when they fall. I appreciate that you asked me to play when I was sad. Um, I noticed that you always tell us jokes and make us laugh. But that, I mean, for little people to see beyond the superficial junk that society throws at us as important and to peel that back and see the, in, the beauty of our individual humanity um, that is a magical thing to see happen in a classroom. So if we can get so much of a brokenness in society, in my opinion, comes from a lack of, of self-love and this um, shame and fear and blame. If, oh my gosh, if we could send every human into the world as young adults with the intention of seeing someone's humanity in them, imagine the world, right? Yeah. And an equal understanding that while I'm perfectly imperfect, I have authentic, beautiful humanity in me as well. Right. Um, that, that's the big goal. The little goal is create. that's how you create community. It starts in a classroom. You create com community by treasuring each other's humanity and loving unconditionally. And I always get frustrated. Sometimes people perceive unconditional love with no accountability. And that always bugs me. Uh, that's in fact, the people I love most, I hold the most accountable um, in what I ask from them and of them, because, you know, my husband and my two children are the people I push the most not to achieve things, but to be the best version of themselves, not as my not as I define that, but as they define it. Um, so again, to me, unconditional love. I always tell my kids: if you ended up in prison because you broke the law, you should be in prison if you broke the law. But I'm gonna come see you every day. You know, right? right. It's you know, I love you, and I'm here for you, and I want you to be your best self. But that doesn't mean. I'm not holding you to the standard that you set for yourself. Right. Anyway. I think you're, you're exactly right. That segue is, is into the world of, I love you so much. Therefore I will enable you. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember we deal with this in medicine a lot in the sense of a child gets diagnosed with a very difficult disease, let's say cancer. And all of a sudden parenting goes out the window. I can't parent you now because you have a disease. Therefore I will give you anything you want to feel good. Well, that child then therefore loses complete sense of self. And in the long run, they end up oftentimes spoiled and, and, and worse off in the long run. So yeah. the structure of love is I love you so much, no matter what you're going through, but I'm still holding you accountable. You have cancer, you're lying. I'm still going to hold you accountable for the lie. And I really want to touch on another word. You said punishment and shame. Mm -hmm. When I grew up, punishment was the norm, right? And that was the seventies. You were the sixties, you know, that was the reality that we all went through. Right. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it dawned on me that, you know, this reality of consequence instead of punishment makes so much more sense because consequence remains connected, remains loving. Punishment is separation. It is 
you know, you're not a good person, therefore you're being punished, right? The message is you're not a good person. Well, if people feel they're not a good person, invariably they may become not a good person. So I really, really believe in the standing O. I believe in that reality that you're speaking to because you are putting people in a position to see their inner self-esteem rise instead of stagnate and fall. And I think that is the reality. We send kids out of the world with poor self-esteem. It is hard, right? So it does turn to drugs, alcohol, and all of that. All right. Love it, Joy. Love it, love it, love it. So unless you have something more to add there, I want to hey, shift. I want to I want to say something about punishment because I I um that is that is a big uh educational trigger for me in terms of yeah. how we created CSD. Um, and Alfie Cohn, if you've ever read any of his work, he has a book called Punished by Rewards. And he's adamantly against any kind of extrinsic reward or punishment. It's, it's the different ends of the same right. sword. And it's all about intrinsic motivation. And, and some people love him and some people dislike him. I very much value a lot of his work. But here is um, a, a, a little thing I use with teachers and parents that I think is very powerful. Um, consequences and accountability are part of parenting and educating. Intentions matter, though. Is my intention to have power over you or mm -hmm. is my intention to build power within yourself? That is, to me, the key. And parents have different, you know, like you said, I mean, I was raised with, you know, the, you know, the belt on the fanny kind of discipline and, and my parents did the very best they could with what they knew at that time. And they made mistakes. And I, as a parent did the very best I could with what I knew at the time. And i made mistakes. You just hope your kids will be okay. Here, <laughs> here is what matters though. Intentions intentions kids can feel it they can sense it they can smell it if you're giving me a consequence to help me grow and become the best version of myself versus you're giving me a consequence to get me to put me in my place to teach me to show me from a place of anger they feel it and and that is why i think even when we make mistakes as teachers and as parents if our intentions are pure, the kids survive. Um, but so that power over versus power within to me is very powerful. Yeah. And I've heard it said another way, the power over is control. The power under or the power with is sharing, sharing, learning, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, control is such an easy thing to be in any relationship, right? There's the, the, the person who's in the power control structure, which is easy for a parent to do. We're bigger, we're smarter, we're older, right? So yeah, it's, it's so simple to fall. Yeah. It's so, as I tell my kids all the time and, and I say, you know, the easiest way to parent a child is do nothing. You know, don't, I'm not going to parent y'all go out and live my life, ski, whatever I can. The hardest thing to parent is to actually be involved and set, set boundaries. And I love you so much. You know what? That phone is gone because you're right now not doing what you need to do. So let's talk about what that means. And we'll get, we'll, we'll incrementally go back to it because you know what, this is how we love each other. We're going to do the hard things because to your earlier point, the obstacle is the way many of my greatest gifts in life have been because I ran into a brick wall and had to sit there and think, wow, that really hurt. What did I learn from this? And then all of a sudden you grow into a new version of self, shed some skin. And yeah, wow. I love that. That's a, that's a really nice way of putting it, Joy. All right. Now to the interesting topic, right? Okay. So COVID-19 hit us all in the beginning of 2020. It hit me like a ton of bricks at work, you know, masking, gowning, oh, oh, the amount mm -hmm. of the amount of plastic I sent out into the world. I shudder at what, what that Same. reality is just, just Same. myself alone, but you ran into this in the school system, which I think was equally or maybe even more difficult. Tell me about the experience and how you helped the teachers remain as minimally stressed as possible because they're walking into this, their self-fear, the fear for the kids, the unknowns, the, <laughs> the ones who wanted Zoom, the ones who wanted to be in school. I mean, you had variables beyond variables and everybody was probably coming from two polar sides coming at you in the middle going, Joy, come on, this, that, the other thing. I, I know there were times where I was and I was like, what is Joy doing? Meanwhile, 
I just need to shut up and sit back and do my job. Uh, no. Well, I I will tell you, as you know, I know as a medical person, I am 100% sure for me as an educator, the COVID pandemic was definitely the truest test I've ever been through as an educational leader. Um, and I wish I could tell you I did it perfectly, Chris. Oh, so many things I would do differently. And I, I but, but hey, that is, that is a lesson within itself. And I was able with my leadership students to share that journey with them, which is pretty powerful, you know, yeah. uh, for kids to see adults, parents and teachers uh, admit they make mistakes, wish they could do something differently, um, learn from mistakes. To me, again, that is some of the most important learning and teaching we can do in schools. Um, I will tell you, um, I am human and I struggled just like everybody else did during the pandemic. Um, I am a person, I, I really do lead with love. And I, I really think one of my superpowers is that when someone comes at me angry and hateful, I can peel back the layers usually and see the fear that is at the root of that. Um, and that's been a part of being an educator my whole life, because in your home, what is the most precious possession you and Nicole have? Two kids. Your children. So for as an educator, you're dealing with 24 kids and their parents and every one of those parents, if there is anything that will make a parent a crazy, angry person, it is protecting their children. That's how we're wired to protect yeah. our young. So educators have a lot of practice of kind of getting that angry moment lash out. And then kind of helping the parent work their way through the fear that's driving that lash. Um, and then coming to a place of here is what we both agree on. We love your child. That's what we both agree on. And uh, the pandemic put, took that practice uh, and put it to work on steroids. Um, because again, the parents coming at educators, just like at doctors during the pandemic, they were afraid, they were tired, they were struggling in their own jobs, their own households, and they love their children. Um, and so most of the time when the lash came, and they came more than I've ever dealt, I, I, it's been, it was like nothing I've ever seen. Again, I'm human. I, there are times I cursed. <laughs> I got mad just like everybody else did because I wish I could tell you I'm perfect and I didn't <laughs> roll my eyes or or have an ugly thought. I did. I wish I didn't. I want to be perfect for our children, but I'm not. Um, but I also gave myself some grace. I was tired. I was afraid. I'd never led through a pandemic before. So I think we have to step back, feel what we feel. And I, and I kind of gave myself a talking to feeling, observing those feelings is not wrong. You're human. Now, what do you act with? Do you act from those feelings or do you act from a place of love? And for the most part, I gave myself the grace to feel feelings. I was not really accustomed to feeling very often because I, I typically, I just love people and I can usually quickly see through anger. Um, but, but again, when it's coming at you so hard, so fast, so much, I was human. I gave myself the grace to feel angry, to feel frustrated, and then to go for a long walk, spend some time in the woods gather my sense of who do I want to be on this earth and who I want to be is someone who comes acts from a place of love. And when I feel triggered, which for me is anger, resentment, if I do my own heart work first and figure out why am I feeling that way, then generally I can act in a place that is aligned with my personal integrity, my personal moral code, my personal intention for the life I want to lead. So again, I made mistakes. I felt all the same frustrated, fearful, angry feelings everyone else did. But 
I think it, I, I, I got really good at going for walks <laughs> and giving myself some space so that I didn't act from that place. So, and uh, again, I've yet to meet a parent who doesn't love their kid. And I've yet to meet a teacher who didn't want to make a difference in the lives of children. I, and when, when that's what you're starting with, it's easy to usually get yourself back to a place of grace. And I think if you're going to pull the listeners, if they're going to pull anything from this entire interview, that's the most important thing to pull right there. The fact that when you look at somebody who is in a state of disarray, look beneath the anger. There's usually a reason behind the why. And to come at them with an open heart, with, with, with a, a sense of, I am here to help you, diffuses the anger. It allows the person to then maybe get underneath that stress and see what's really going there. And to your point, I think most parents, not all, but I think most parents, at least in my existence, love their kids implicitly. I do unfortunately have some that don't. And it's very heartbreaking. And those poor kids, it's, it, it, breaks my heart, makes me want to take them in and love them myself. But that reality is a big one too. All right, Joy, I would love, uh, I, I want to be conscious of your time, but you are a storyteller. I've heard many, 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 many great stories. Give me a couple of your favorites over the last two decades. at CSD. Oh gosh, when you told me you're going to ask that question, I, I that is really hard. Um, because they, you know what? The best part of teaching is that every single day you walk home with a million stories in your pocket and um, the stories are what keep you going. So, so honestly, I have to pull a story that's recent because there's millions of them and I'm old. Yep. So I'll pull a recent story. <laughs> so, so last year in my leadership class, um, uh, in my leadership class is a mixed, and your sweet boy was in it, so you know well, but it's a mixed age grouping of 9th through 12th graders, and I taught six sections of it, like almost 150 kids. Um, and selfishly, I did it because it filled my bucket, because it was the best part of, of my week that offset the worst parts of my week. Um and the reason I loved it so much is one, I just, uh, it's so awesome watching little five-year-old children. Uh, the magic that you see in kindergarten is evident in high school because it's like you watch adults be born. It's really wow. special. Um, and that's what I love about kindergarten. You watch these little people who uh, think their, their family is their only community and then they walk into school and they develop this whole other community that loves them. So again, equally magical. But in my leadership class, a big piece of what we do, I, it's problem-based learning. Um, and problem-based learning is when you give real life problems to children at any age to solve. Um, so it's meaningful, purposeful, and relevant. And they are taking the skills that they learn in school and they're applying them. Well, in a leadership class, uh, one thing that kids are very invested in is solving problems within their school community. Um, and so we did lots of, of, of projects and discussions around my challenges of leader as leader of the school and things I, you know, things that I was dealing with. Um, and so one that happened is, uh, I, I, I should be ashamed to say this, but we had um, in our, at our high school football games, um, we had a situation where the fans were not being nice to our cheerleaders. They, and they just, they were not being nice. Um, some of them were making fun of them and you know how t gang mentality gets. Um, and that came to the admin team through a number of ways. Um, parents of cheerleaders, talking to cheerleaders, talking to the coach. Um, and again, I know all those fans are wonderful human beings, even though their actions don't reflect the core of who I know they are. So, so we took that to the class in a multitude of ways. Um, the, the, I, I, shared with them perspective from the cheer coach. We, uh, we had a couple of the cheerleaders and the head cheerleaders come in and talk with the class. We brainstormed as a class, 
what's happening? Why is this happening? But again, from a very uh, constructive, non-judgmental, and curious way, why is this happening when we know everyone here is a decent human? Um, and then the kid, the class brainstormed, and and we talked about the notion of I, as the leader of the school, can tell you you can't do that, or you're leaving the bill, or you're leaving the game. But that just gets a short-term result. My goal is to put humans out who see the impact of their choices and behaviors on the community, who understand gang mentality. How important is that for going to college, right? Yeah. So we talk about all the different perspectives and uh, decision-making paths that we could you know, go at. And the kids came up with solutions. And the best part to me, my best story was at the end of our first game after the kids put into place their solutions. And of course, I just almost cried the whole game watching them just be, oh, these magnificent, beautiful, thoughtful, compassionate humans where their behaviors reflected their hearts that I know because teenagers get a bad rap, uh, which drives me crazy. Um, but anyway, at the end of that night, uh, it was just a beautiful evening from every perspective. And we came back to class the next week. And one of my students, who was only a ninth grader, came up to me and said, what would you think of the game? And I'm like, what did you think? And she said, I thought it was incredible. I said, I did too. So we had this class discussion and she turned around to walk away and she turned back and she said, you know what, Miss Joy, we did that. That was, you know, as a teacher, not Miss Joy did it. We did that. That is that was one of my highs last year is for kids to see the joy and the power that comes and the empowerment that they have to make a difference in this world. And she saw all the goodness, all the kids saw it and that they didn't associate that with me. They associated it with themselves, that they have locus of control for their lives and the world beyond them. That that's a good one. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it's a beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and it's loaded with so many different things. Second chances, no shame. Let's learn from this. Let's build upon it. What's the connection with everybody together? I mean, all the words I gave in the beginning, those key words, that sort of encompasses so much of that, Joy. It's like, yeah, I, I love the stories. I've heard many of them over the years that when you say them and they're just all beautiful because they are all learning experiences. And, and to me, Again, and I always think about my world of medicine, the greatest teacher in medicine is pain. And if yeah. you listen to it, pain will teach yeah. you how to heal, right? The problem yeah. is we don't listen that often. In your world, you know, similar idea. It's these obstacles that are your pain points, right? And so mm -hmm. when you grow through them, you become a healthier whole human, in this case, whole children. And I agree with you. Teenagers do get a bad rap. You know, if if my teenage 15 through 18 life cycle was put on video, I probably would not be where I'm at right now. I would probably be locked away somewhere as a dysfunctional human. Cause True we did for some things all that didn't. Yeah. I always, so whenever tell, I, I always tell people who say that about teenagers, you must not be spending any time with them one-on-one -on -one right? because in groups, you know, they're like 50 puppies, right? They just make messes and they're, you know, like that, but just, pull one of them aside and you will just be blessed by just the uniqueness of their awesomeness. So yes, yeah. I'm glad I'm not judged by my high school and college years as well. <laughs> Get green. All right. Again, to be conscious of your time, I got two last questions. One, okay. um, what would you say to the graduating seniors this year? I know you did at graduation, but for the parents listening, you have a lot of wisdom to share as their kids go off to college. So words of wisdom to the parents or the graduating seniors or both. Okay. For the kids, I would say be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not judgmental. Um, do your own heart work. If you're feeling mad at somebody, you better look inside first. 
listen to your inner whisperings and your inner heart, your gut, whatever you call it. Um, I, I, and be your authentic self. So, so much of the brokenness in this world is people putting on facades to be what they think society wants. And I just think that that is just leads us to this continuous spiraling towards brokenness. Um, if we can just be who we are, uh, we're happier, healthier, and the people around us know they can be who they are. Um, and again, just the power of those things, be your authentic self. You are enough. Listen to your heart and do your heart work, uh, and be curious, not judgmental. Uh, I think we're so quick to respond, especially with social media and bleh, uh, mm-hmm. computers. We're so quick to throw out our immediate judgments and anger. And again, I feel all those same things. We all, it's part of being human. But if we could just take a step back and be curious about why we feel that way and be curious about where, from where someone else is coming, I just think we'd be so much happier and healthier. For parents, um, especially parents who are sending kids into college, Give, give those kids some grace. They're going to mess up. Make sure that your kids know that you love them unconditionally and that you expect them to make mistakes, that that's part of how we learn and grow and that you love them unconditionally because you need them to come to you when they make mistakes so you can help them grow their skills at cleaning up their own messes. Um, yeah. Um, and, and, and be grace, give yourself some grace because parenting of young adults is a new kind of hard. Um, so those are, I guess, off the top of my head. Love it. Final question. Hmm? If you had a ticket you could give to Congress and I did not prep you for this one. This is the one I spur uh-huh. upon every, on every guest. If you have a ticket to give to Congress or the president that could get one thing changed and I'm gonna give you a chance to think about it while I tell you mine, um, I would change school lunches. I would put a massive amount of money behind the child gets only whole food, sort of like a whole child, right? We want to treat the child with whole food. So it's going to be real food, no more processed, ultra processed, 60% of their meals are calorically dense, but nutritionally poor. That's my wish someday. I hope I get my wish fulfilled. But in the meantime, what would you ask for? Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. I guess for me, you know, I want it all. (laughs) (laughs) I want it all. So the best way for me to get it all is to have less little people, more adults with the little people, with the people, with the students, um, because we can't grow these people as whole humans if we are sending them through a mass conveyor belt educational system. And to build truly individualized education you you can't do that in a mass education conveyor belt way so so that's the best way to get it all <laughs> is I to love have more adults with the children so that they can be nurtured and cherished as they deserve to be i i don't understand why we can't spend our money proactively instead of reactively. And that's true in your world and mine. We spend money on sickness. We spend money on prisons. We spend money cleaning up the messes that we don't pay to clean up before they happen. And I, the economics are in favor of doing it right to start with, but it's like we we live too short-sighted. Um, so... Someday we'll get un- unlikely coalitions. Uh, you know, I feel like as a society, we're these pawns in divisiveness. And I don't, you know, we don't always agree on how we get there, but I want to believe that people want the same things. They just disagree on how to get there. So um, so I, I, I wish we could fix that in our society. I wish... I wish <laughs> we'll yeah, figure that I, out. I agree hundred percent, Joy. I think that money is not the problem. We have it. 
it's the allocations of the money that's the problem. When the federal budget for the Pentagon is seven hundred billion, but we're scraping dimes to get an extra teacher in a classroom or a nurse. Yeah. Frank, we used to have yeah. nurses in schools. Now we don't have yeah. nurses in every school. Yeah, all this stuff is Crazy. ridiculous. But yeah. that being said, your wishes are my wishes as well. <laughs> I'm I'm putting my energy out there into the world that that would come to. But what really, I just want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you, you know, again, for the 18 years that uh, my children have been, actually 18, I guess it wouldn't technically be, but 13 yeah. years of love that my children have received from you and your school, because it is an extension of you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your just passion. I love your passion. Uh, and well, thank you. It's been fun talking to you this morning, and I hope it'll some little nugget of goodness will come from it. But thank you it, for all you're doing to put goodness into the universe. I am convinced the power of goodness will prevail. I would agree, and Joy, thank you for your time. Have a good day. Give those kids my love and your sweet wife. I will. Have Bye -bye. a great day. What a fabulous person. I so appreciated her time and the ability to really dive deeper into her philosophical understandings. And I hope you gain some knowledge and this conversation resonated with you and your kids. So I hope you have a great day. So as always, hug those kids. Take care.